Welcome back to another episode of Launch AMA, where we ask startup experts about anything and everything. I'm your host as usual, Sam, the VP of Programs here at Launch Academy. And I'm joined Mike Wee, who's, who's you know, my go-to mentor for, for sales mentorship and, and sales process and all that stuff. So Mike, why don't you just quickly introduce yourself for everybody who doesn't know who you are? Hey guys, uh, so my name is Mike Wei. Um, most recently, um, was an SDR manager at a uh, local tech company called Clio, which we sold and and made uh, legal software. Um, so folks that I talked to all the time was essentially um, lawyers and law firms, and um, also my sales team. So I was there, um, joined the company as an SDR, grew up in the ranks, and then. Um, you know, most recently uh, left the company as an SDR manager. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, you were mentioning that, that, you know, let's, I mean, we're definitely going to get to Clio, but like even prior to Clio, like you've worked, like you mentioned something called Strata and I think you've worked for a couple of different startups. Like what, let's just go through that history a little bit. Like how did you actually get involved with tech and startups and maybe even sales? Um, so my, my background is in, I mean, I, I always thought I was going to get into food and beverage, um, partly because, you know, family business back in London, England, I had a, um, I, I've got an uncle who runs uh, a couple of uh, restaurants out in London, England. So I just figured I'm going to go and get my hospitality uh, degree somewhere, um, you know, also went to school at Hawaii Pacific University and, and just figured, okay, that's what I was going to get into. Like, like, kid you not, like, if, if you ask any salesperson, no one has ever said, hey, you know, if when I graduate high school or when I graduate university, I want to be a salesperson. Like, no one says that at all. Uh, it, and it's just simply because you've got that stigma of, you know, salespeople lie, they cheat, um, you know, they're aggressive. And um, that just wasn't me. So um, my first, you know, real, real job, I would say, was um, working in Best Buy Canada in their finance department. But really early on, just figured out, hey, like this is not for me. Like mm-hmm. if if I take if I take a look at myself, took a look around the room, and it was just like a sea of just people in an open warehouse uh, behind a desk. Um, you know, I don't want to be who my boss was. Um, you know, what should I be doing? And all the glitz and glam at the time, and uh, social media was coming up. It was um, you know basically marketing and advertising. That's what that's what I wanted to gravitate towards. Um, so, so did a little bit of that. And then someone just said, Hey, you know, you're, you're pretty smart guy. Um, you know, have you thought of having a career in sales? And I said, absolutely not. Like I'm in finance. Like how, (laughs) how do I go from finance to sales? Um, and he's like, just think about it. Like you're going to have to learn how to sell. Like in an interview, you're going to have to learn how to sell yourself. If you've got a product or service, you're going to have to learn how to sell the product or service. So everything that we do in some way, shape or form, there's always some sort of a pitch or, or a sales to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a really, really valuable skill. So I, I fell into sales purely by accident. That's, you know, the hilarious part about that story is I think while you were working at Best Buy, I was actually working at Best Buy on the sales floor at the same time. Yeah. So in theory, we were coworkers, but, but for those of you that aren't in Canada, Best Buy is like our, our kind of future electronic shop. chain. It's yeah. Future shop. Exactly. It's our electronics chain. So, so there's hundreds of thousands of, of, of people that work there. 
Um, so it's not like we were working side by side, but I, I didn't know that at all. But like, let's, let's dive into a little bit deeper about like what you talked about, like everybody needing to learn how to sell. So obviously we have a, a room full of founders here. Uh, some are, you know, especially the biz dev people are saying like, you're preaching brother. Right. Um, but then there's also technical co-founders and also, you know, um, financial officers. There's, there's all sorts of people. And then of course there's, there's your solo founder, which you, you can label any tag to them whatsoever. Um, and, and I'd say, I'd say most entrepreneurs, if I'm generalizing, they were, we're very excited about creating product. We're, we're excited about solving someone's problem. We're excited about putting that product into their hands. Not so excited about the selling process itself. It's kind of like a, a means to an end, right? So, so, I mean, as we kind of dive deeper into it, and I don't want this to make it into to sales one-on-one, but like, but like, what would you say for, for a founder? Because like how much sales knowledge should they generally be equipped with regardless of role? Um, and, and at this point, just a logistical thing, if you guys do have questions for Mike, you know, we're just chatting here, but we want to really want to get to your questions. So feel free to ask away in the Q and a session, just like all the other webinars and pop in and we'll, we'll, we'll squeeze them in as soon as we can. So, so Sam, your, your question was how involved or, or. Um, yeah, like I just for, for all founders in a general level, like how much selling should you expect to do and how much like beyond this is my thing, please take it. Like, do you need to know? Like, and, and we can go from different stages, like for, for early stage startups to, to startups that have, have a couple of people doing biz dev, maybe it's their co-founders or whatnot. But, but for this moment, I want to specifically focus on the non-sales co-founders. Got it. Okay. So, you know, you know, in, in my very early years in, um, in selling, you know, again, coming from a, a finance background, um, you know, I was, I was scared and of, of just picking up the phone, you know, calling people and, and I've never done that before uh, where, you know, I'm so used to sitting behind a, behind a desk and I can blast out as many emails as I, as I could. Um, but once you started to understand that, hey, like I'm selling a product that is actually gonna be helpful for people, that changes everything. Right. And so as, as a founder, when you're thinking about the product or service that you are actually building, think about it from a perspective in, in a lens of how many people am I going to actually help and who am I actually helping? Right. Because then it's not so much of a, a sales and you're like ramming software or, or your product or service down their throat. It's here's a here's a real problem that I'm looking to solve. And I want to start a conversation with you and asking you a couple of questions about how this relates to your business or your industry, right? Completely changes the, the way that you think about how most sales people might, um, might be selling. Mm -hmm. that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so I have a question here from James, a little different pace, but I think we can, can try it out. He says, hi, Michael. Thanks for sharing with us. I just saw Cleo's video ads on YouTube. Can you share some insights on, on their online marketing campaigns, such as traffic sources are good for SaaS companies to get leads? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't have a lot of purview into, um, uh, in, into marketing there, but, but also I'm also held under a, um, um, 
NDA. Uh, an NDA to, to <laughs> not disclose those kind of uh, things there. But I mean, if, if your question is on like, how much money does Clio actually spend on advertising? It's a shit ton. <laughs> I, I, I think I think to gear it more towards something that, that could be helpful to them is um, um, to give you a little bit of background, Jing, Jing runs a, a, a new product. Um, previously, he was an advertising agency. Um, and, and from that, they spun out a product that they think, you know, frankly, all their clients could use. But with the product comes, you know, a much larger market than, you know, going after, you know, the agency model, right, where it's all services all day, and it's only how much the, the agency can handle. Um, so, so I think he's trying to understand, you know, from from a, maybe from a leads perspective, like, what, what kind of traffic sources are good for for specifically SaaS? Mm. Um, I, I think you, I mean, you, you definitely have to narrow down like your, your particular industry first, right. Um, and then you know, what, what's really interesting about the, the legal industry is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to look at like Google AdWords as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, personal injury firms um, spend a lot of money on Google AdWords. I, I think, um, don't, don't quote me on this, but I know that it's, it's in the hundreds um, if you place an ad for like car accident lawyer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And people are willing to pay anywhere uh, between like $300 and $500 like per, um, per click. That's, that's insane. Um, not, not saying that like that's, you know, where you should be spending your money, um, you know, on, on advertising or channels. But I, I also do think that you know, if we if we were to take a look at where are we getting the majority of our source of, of traffic, it's uh, basically from content that you're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that is how do you build yourself in a sense that you are the industry um, or or industry uh, leaders or thought leaders in this particular space. And if you aren't, I mean, part of that is also kind of brand building. Where where are you getting your source of information? Is this credible? Um, and, and how are you building that back into your brand and, and your product and service? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to like narrowing down your, your target market, like how nitty gritty do you, do you recommend? And I guess we're, we're specifically using the example of Google ads, but it, it doesn't really need to be because they're really trying to find that, that initial niche that they can, they can attack leads on. Right. Because, you know, the, the kind of cliche term, everybody, you know, we're just gonna, everybody that needs advertising needs or product. Like that's, that doesn't exactly work when it comes to Google AdWords or something like, like how, how are you kind of initially deciding or, or hypothetically, right? How are you initially deciding which, which sector to go after? Like what, what are you, what are some kind of key things that you're looking for early on? Or maybe you, like in their case, they have existing clientele that they can, they can kind of look at, but would you just double down on whatever existing clientele and whatever their market is or, or throw something in the air? Um, I think it's a bit of a game, part, partly because your your product is ever evolving. The the competitive landscape of where your competitors are are also evolving as well. Like, like um, I I can tell you from from the times that um, I was at Strata and also Clio, like we 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 can we can tell you you know a, a majority of where our business came from, but we had to pivot you know quite a few times in, in terms of who we actually went after and where we wanted to spend our resources. So I think that's that's very important to kind of understand you know 
first off, you know, you might go like super broad, but as, as you have more of these conversations with these prospects, you might realize, oh shit, there's, there's a certain type of pattern that I can pick up on by having, you know, 10 to a hundred conversations. And once you figure out what that pattern is, that potentially is your sweet spot that, that you have to target after. But, but the goal is like, you, you have to keep having these conversations. Otherwise it, it is going to be a shot in the dark. Cool. Thanks. Uh, moving on, Igor here, they have a, a different SaaS product. Their product is technical. So he wants to talk about SDR KPIs and targets. So they first, their first SDRs joined their team a week ago. She's onboarding at a good pace, but obviously it takes some time. So he wants to know when should he set KPIs, how to structure them, any benchmarks, and kind of what to monitor every week or, or how to kind of structure their, their day. Because I guess this is like a new um, team for them. Yeah, I, I take a look at um, um, basically, you know, if, if Igor's done some early selling um, um, on his own, like what was the average sales cycle or, or the length um, that it took for, for him to have some type of conversation or, or some sale, right? So I, I take a look at um, the sales cycle there. Um, I'd also take a look at, you know, is this SDR, so there, there's a couple ways to take a look at your SDR. Um, there's folks that would essentially build lists for you, and that's just what they do. They, they do market research, they, they do some competitive intel, and they're there building lists. Um, the, the list building part is, um, I find, extremely time consuming. And so, you know, metrics there and, and what you want to take a look at is, is basically how clean is this list or is it possible for you to even purchase a list, right? Other, other things that the SDR could do too is just purely make outbound phone calls and set up meetings for an account executive or otherwise in a smaller stage startup, this SDR could be booking meetings directly for Igor and, and Igor is um, the, the person who's just basically pitching and, and demoing the product. Um, but I take a look at, you know, where is the, the SDR spending their amount of time? Um, how many phone calls and emails are, are they sending out in our particular day? And then, and then take that back um, and, and calculate in, in terms of how many phone calls and emails um, does it take for someone to actually engage? Um, and, and once you have that sort of baseline number, you, you can probably model that out towards um, some of the other SDRs if you're looking at scaling and, and growing that team. But, but you also, you, you basically want to take a look at how many meetings or, or conversations are you having out of them. You don't want to take a look at just like, it, like blindly how many phone calls and emails has this person sent out because that's not the meaningful um, part of the metric. The meaningful part is, is, is this person on the other end, engage with uh, your SDR. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think a, a big part of that in Igor, you can feel free to type in with with a bit more context. I think that might help. Um, is is what's what's that metric that that you guys are looking for, right? Like you're totally right, and Mike talking about you know I can pick up the phone and call 150 times a day that doesn't mean I'm doing a good job. It means I'm doing something, right? Um, so, so like for some people, it'll be straight conversion to sales or, or it's, it's, you know, phone calls that lead to, to demos or, or phone calls that lead to free trials. Like, 
I think everybody has their, their different thing. So for, for Igor's typed in is, is we're looking at booked demos. It's the main target at this point. So, so I think back to kind of Igor's examples because this is their, their first SDR. So they're trying to gauge whether they're, they're killing it. They're doing a good job. They're doing a poor job. Like obviously there's, there's no, there's nothing to, to measure it by, right? Like it's probably yeah. only by their own core team's previous experience, which I don't know, could have been, they could have been doing off the cuff of their desk or, or I don't know if they have processes in place. I'm sure they have something in place, but not obviously not as dedicated as a dedicated SDR. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, actually, do you mind me asking like what, what kind of product it is? Um, the products uh, probably best for eager to type it in, but it's called upload care. Um, I don't know if we can pull up the website right here. Um, actually, we're going to, we're going to do something interesting here. I'm just going to pull up Igor's website. I'm going to share it on screen and then everybody can kind of see that. We'll keep that in the webcast too. Um, but I think it could be a helpful example for not just Igor. So you guys see here, right? Cool. Cool. I just got to make sure I have the chat open too. So yeah, upload, uploadcare.com. Who's the targeted audience? Igor? E-commerce marketplace SaaS. Got it. And what, and um, like who within those companies would, would he be targeting? Says any tech company that works with user generated content. So you usually it would be like um, the product team, the marketing team. Um, I don't know if there's like a like a specific. Okay, first stage CEOs uh, and CEOs product, manager. pro product managers. Okay. Yeah. So I I think you know a, a couple of ways to look at this is um, you know what 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 is the priority for um, you know, CEOs, product managers, and, and also CTOs, right? Like, are, are they looking at this um, um, from, a, from a perspective of, you know, how, how problematic is this problem or is this product going to solve uh, for what they need, right? And, you know, to, you know, my, my take on this is, you know, this is probably somewhat of a, um, longer sales cycle. Like it's not just like a, like a one month turnaround. I, I could be completely wrong, but um, you, you want to give your SDRs a, a bit of a bandwidth or, or um, some time to just build that list and, and have these conversations. Mm -hmm. um, but where else can this SDR find these prospects? Is it mainly on LinkedIn? Like, uh, like I would imagine a lot of um, uh, founders um, and, and CEOs could be found on LinkedIn, but where else are they going to find CTOs? And are CTOs responsive? Um, um, do they even have a phone number where 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 people could um, could call them and and, um, um, and and talk to them? Or are they limited to just email? Right? Like all of us have have ignored uh, sales emails <laughs> from from time to time. Right? So that's that's really the question. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, give them. He's writing that phone numbers didn't really work because the they're a little bit too tech savvy. It seems. Okay. They just ignore calls. So give them, 
you, you know, your, your email pitch in, in some sense has to be like super, super compelling. Um, and, and I would imagine that a lot of these CTOs probably just don't want to go through a long winded um, paragraph and, and wall of text when they're reading, you know, what, what problem that uh, your product's trying to solve. So keep, keep it short, keep it concise, um, you know, figure out, you know, what is, what is their priority or otherwise approach it in, in such a way where um, you can let them know that you are a startup and, you know, this is the space, this is the niche that you're looking at, um, at, at targeting and you want to pick their brain. You want to have some conversations about, you know, what, what problems are, are they actually having? But, but again, just start with the conversation. Um, your, your SDR should be, uh, at, or at, at least in my mind, what you want to try to figure out, Igor, is what would you consider as a sweet spot for you? So have some pre-qualifiers as to what your SDR should be qualifying on, not just simply, hey, are you interested in, in talking about or our, um, uh, um, uh, demoing our, our product? It needs to be something along the lines of maybe, you know, what what's um, the size of your dev team? Um, maybe it's going to be, you know, what vertical are you looking at? Um, and so that would help you carve out what is your exact niche. Mm -hmm. but, but have some pre-qualifiers going into, um, um, in, into the conversation so that your SDRs could actually pick out, you know, what, what, potentially could be a good prospect or um, a prospect that's just out of scope. Yep. And, and maybe more as a, a general question, maybe that can lead on to this is like, what, like you've worked with obviously a ton of SDRs, like what are some attributes of, of good ones when you're hiring versus, versus ones that are, are not as good. SDRs. Yeah. I, I look at a couple of things I think, um, you know, a cu couple of key things that, that you want to look for is coachability, right? Like someone who can take feedback. Mm -hmm. I think that's super important as you iterate on your product or as you think about potentially even pivoting or anything could happen in, in a startup, right? So this person who is coachable, uh, who could definitely roll with the punches, but who's also business savvy as well, right? Like th this is business that, that they need to understand. And so there's some level of curiosity that this SDR should have about um, the other person's business, right? If they just simply go in and, and just start pitching, hey, you know, I've got the latest and greatest product, that's not, that's not really gonna fly, mm -hmm. right? They, ha they have to have some sort of uh, uh, business acumen or intelligence there. Um, the, the other end of this too is, um, as, as odd as it might sound, sometimes you don't necessarily want to hire uh, salespeople, um, and and partly because it's you, the the salesperson and 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 again it depends on the the type of product and and the stage that that you're in. Sometimes the salesperson would would have some extra baggage that they would carry around with them. Mm -hmm. Hey, I, I was trained this way, or I learned this way, and and they're not really open or flexible enough to um, get, you know, your, your initial sales training, just like, um, and, and throw that out the door and, and just sell according to how you're selling or, or your particular model. So I think some level of flexibility there um, is, is really important. And 
what's really, really funny in, in my career in, you know, the folks that I've hired, some of the most successful reps don't come from a traditional sales background. And I, I think it's just the, the eagerness and the hunger to learn, which sets mm-hmm. them apart from, from other people. Like, like they already know that um, they're considered an underdog. And so, you know, in, in a sales, it, it's a very competitive environment where you've got a leaderboard and, and you know who's bringing what deals in. And, you know, no one ever wants to be at the bottom, but it's that competitive drive that I think a lot of founders also have. Like, that's what you want to look for as well. Yeah. It, it's not, it's, it's not a, um, um, it, it, there's no science to, um, to hiring, but there's, there's um, certain patterns or there's formulas in, in who you want to hire on as um, who could be, you know, the best per- person for the role at this stage in, in your startup. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, I think to dive a little bit deeper, and I think what we're talking about here is, is I think early on, and I think you've worked with both, both cases with Clio being, I, were we employee 20 or something like that? I can't, I couldn't remember the, the number. Um, but, but in both cases, like, like sometimes when you're, when you're startup and you have three people, five people, like the, the roles are not as assigned. The, the K, KPIs are definitely usually not assigned at that point. Right. Because it's just like, Oh, I got two leads today. Cool. Add it to my post-it or, or whatever. Right. Like I'm, I'm dramatizing a little bit for, for, for emphasis, but, but, you know, converting that to, you know, when you go to a place like Clio and, and I mean, Clio today, not Clio when you joined, I think really is like, that transition period. And, and now I imagine if you're, you're hired as an SDR in clearly like, okay, here's your package. Here's your, here's your whatever. And, and, and here's your goals and et cetera. And here's the tools you need. Right. So like what, maybe walk us through that transition just a little bit. Like, what do you think it needs to go step-by-step? Step? Like how much process, how much organization be you when you're like at Igor stage where you're hiring your first SDR versus before when you know SDR and this entire this entire department was not a thing it was just you know your biz dev marketing people go out and hustling your CEO going out and hustling like can converting that to I guess something a little bit more organized a little bigger yeah so I, I think it's important to have some framework right like when when you think about your first couple hires um, or, or your, your very first hire, you, you want to give them some sort of a framework. And I'm, I'm going to, um, so for, for some of you guys who were, were just joining, um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a father of two young boys, um, Theodore, who is six and Oliver, who is three. And, and I kind of relate, you know, some of the, uh, the work that I've done back to just even parenting, right. As, as a CEO, as a, as a co-founder, you kind of have to babysit, you know, your, your entire team, your, your organization um, to some respect, but you also want to give them enough, um, um, how, how should I say, in, enough information so that they can go and explore and, and figure things out on, on their own, right? Like that's essentially what you're doing in, in your own company. So you want to give them a framework, right? Like I'm, I'm going to give my kid just like, a whack load of Lego. I'm not going to give him like instruction books or, or anything like that and just figure out, you know, how is he going to build this? And, and I can just tell him, Hey, can you build me a house? Can you build me a car? And that, that, you know, final piece could look like, you know, something really awesome or just could look like just 
crap on four wheels, right? But he, he got it done, right? So, but as long as you're able to give a framework, let that person have the bandwidth and, and the rope to, to essentially uh, create that, that process and then refine that process along with them. Gotcha. Cool. No, that's awesome. Um, keeping these questions coming in and for those that just joined, just feel free to use the, the Q and A and we'll make sure to get to the question. Um, so this one comes from actually a, a real estate fintech company. So they're, they're coming from a growing economy to a matured economy like Canada, like, and they're trying to get some kind of generalized advice on, on their sales approach. So, um, actually this is kind of interesting because I just saw that you're, you're also, you were also an advisor for spark CRM. Uh, Spark CRM actually worked at a launch academy, so we come full oh. circle once again. Um, but but yeah, specifically with with real estate, um, I think I, they quote classified fintech company. I think I know what company this is, but but just a more maybe from more from a general standpoint, like you know they're coming from from an economy that they kind of understand, and now they're moving to something like Canada. What's what's kind of the best sales approach? Like how do you how do you approach this kind of new market? Um. <clears throat> You have to think about it from the other person's shoes. Um, so when, when I think about um, real estate, um, you know, first, first thing that I think about is, um, you know, your, your realtor uh, type of personality or, um, you know, very social, um, you know, likes to network and, and all that. Like the, these people are, are front and center. They're like marketing machines, right? And so when I think about, you know, what is your sales approach there? Just go out and network. Like, mm -hmm. like quite honestly, go out and network because, you know, that's, and, and it's going to be really hard to, to do that in this particular environment, but these guys are all accessible, right? Like, like take a look at all the different ads that um, all these realtors are spending or um, some of their listings that they might have, whether it's um, on, on the residential or commercial side, like their numbers front and center and, and you just want to have those conversations with them. Um, but, but I think, you know, your, your sales approach there is um, just start having conversations. You, you're really not going to uh, know a whole lot until you have those uh, conversations going and and uh, by by means of conversation it's it's not like sit behind an email blast out a bunch of emails like you you need to have like real meaningful conversations on the phone with these folks <laughs> let's just focus on realtors for a quick sec um and i know this isn't going to be relevant for everybody but i like using you know specific verticals as examples like what what kind of conversation gets them to reply let's say like, cause you're, you're, you're new. Nobody knows you. You might have a company A, nobody's heard of company A, at least in Canada. Um, and you're trying to, let's say you're trying to approach realtors. What's, what's the best way to knock through that door from is from a cold perspective. Yeah. A couple things. Um, one, we are, we're, we're moving into an age where personalization matters and, you know, you have so many tools, um, especially with social media, you have an opportunity to personalize your message, right? And let's, and, and I know nothing about, you know, this, um, this real estate fintech company or anything like that. But I mean, if, if you think about it, um, from a psychological perspective, um, people like getting compliments, 
right? So it, it's always nice to, to maybe start your email off with some sort of a compliment, right? Um, and then you can go right into, hey, you know, here's what I notice about what you're doing, right? And so, you know, you've, you've done your due diligence, you know, a person's probably pretty intrigued. Why did this guy, Sam or, or Mike, send me an email with a compliment? And, you know, kind of creepy, but he knows what I'm doing, what I'm tweeting, you know, what, what my latest post was. And then he wants to um, ask me about this, right? Like I'm subject expertise in, in this particular arena. Okay, sweet. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to share my take on that. And that's how you get, you know, your, your first couple of conversations. You're not being sneaky about it. You can be upfront as well. Hey, you know, want to borrow 10 minutes of your time to have a conversation around this, which, which I think is rather interesting. Or what I notice is what you're, you're doing X, right? And, and that's leading up to that conversation of, of intrigue. You know, part, part of sales is um, you do want to intrigue uh, the other person. You don't want to lie and cheat about what, what you're trying to pitch or, or sell, right? Like you always want to let them know, and this is what we call an upfront contract. You want to have some mutual um, uh, agreement between you and the other person that you're that you're um, hoping to have that conversation with for them to open up that door by saying, yes, I'm, I'm actually interested in, in having this five, 10 minute conversation with you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, um, yeah, like you, like you never want to, um, you know, put, put anything like mysterious, just be upfront. How specific do you get in your open emails? Like when, like I, I usually recommend all of our companies to, to have an ask when they're reaching out to Mike or whoever. Um, but how specific would you get? Like, do you, do you actually, the, the core thing that you want to ask them, you throw that out in the first email or, or do you, do you have kind of some thoughts around that? Um, I, I don't think that it's, um, I think it's okay to, to have your ask like right up front, right? Mm -hmm. Give, let that person think about, do I want to engage with this company? Do I want to engage with this salesperson? Right? Like, like sometimes you got to let that marinate um, with, with the person that you're sending it out to. But again, you know, sometimes one message is not enough. Like, like put, put yourself in, in the shoes of you being sold to, you don't know who this person is. You don't know, you know, what this company does and maybe you received a first email and you're just super busy, you're not going to respond to it, right? But what if this person had, had hit you up with a second email or even a phone call? Hey, I think this person's pretty serious, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's that persistence that would actually get you to where you want to go. So a, a lot of times, you know, I, I get cold called all the time too. And it's like, I know nothing about your product. I know nothing about your service, but if, if you're able to stop me in, in, in my tracks and, and just tell me about, you know, what you know about me or my industry or the problems that I'm looking at solving. Okay. I'm intrigued. Mm -hmm. and, and it's perfectly fine for you to be upfront about what you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. the, my... the, the number, the number one thing, and, and you got to think about this from um, like sales is very psychological. Like as I feel like marketing is as well. Mm -hmm. But the, the one thing that you don't want to do is just waste people's time. Right. And, and even if you think about it from, from a, um, from an investor's perspective too, 
right? Like when you're making that pitch out, you just want to be upfront here. Here's what my product does. Here's what, here's what my ask is, right? Think about it from an investor's perspective, right? If there will, if, if you're selling a, a product and service, you know, why would this investor buy your product or service? Like, what is it that you have to pitch? What's so compelling about it that, that they would throw money at you? Mm -hmm. So like, I get, I guess to, to what I'm trying to hear, what I'm hearing is, is that you got to look at whoever you're emailing or reaching out to their needs first. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you help them? And that not only does that, that gets you into the conversation, but that, that interests them enough to actually have a conversation with you. And then, right. Yeah. And, and then you yeah. go, you go from there. Yeah. And, and going back to a, a couple of earlier points too, which is, um, you know, what, what do you want to look for in your first sales, um, hire? You, you want to look for that deep curiosity. You, you want to look for someone who's just like constantly learning, right? As with everybody else, who's, who's listening in here, um, you know, you're, you're constantly learning about your craft, your industry, um, you know, your, your, uh, your service and your product and, and how people are absorbing that. So you want your, your salespeople to, to have that same mentality as well. And tech is, is uh, forward thinking, right? That, that's what we should be leaning towards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I was just going to say like one of the, one of the actual, I, I might've shared it on, on a different webinar or something like that. One of the tools that I use is, is if I'm trying to track down a mentor, I'm trying to even, even, for whatever reason, I'm trying to, let's say, talk, talk to a CEO or something like that. Um, like if they're hosting webinars or, or talks or AMAs, like I log on to that and I use that as an excuse to, to open up the email because like, I think what Mike mentioned earlier, like people like people talking about them. Right. So, so, and, and the other thing that's key, especially today, because everybody's on zoom calls and on webinars and stuff like that. I'd say it is a made up number, but say 80 to 90% of the time after, at the end of the webinar, what do they say? They say, if you have any questions and you did it at the very beginning, Mike, contact me on LinkedIn. Right? So, so in that sense, it's no longer completely cold in terms of me reaching out to them. I'm just following your instructions, right? Like I'm following up on exactly what you told me to do. And, and so I almost sometimes hunt down, this is in reverse, right? And, and now I'm letting in my, my own strategies, but like, but like I almost hunt down people that I want to talk to and I find out if they're speaking about anything. And I use that as leverage to get in the door. Um, but so, so that, that's a tip for, for everybody that's trying to reach out to different people in the market. Of course, yes, launch can help you, you know, connect to, to the mics and, and so on and so forth and all the other people we have here on, on our various kind of platforms. But I think at the same time, when there's someone that you really want to reach out to that, that, you know, is cold, like, I don't, that's, that's my personal strategy of how to do it. I just find an excuse to, to, to talk to them, but whatever it is, I don't really care what the subject is. Um, but it's about building that initial report for me. Yeah. Um, another question is, is I think along those same lines, like what's the difference between like spamming and, and actually just trying to reach out and like, I think there's a very fine line between what startups respect called like hustle versus stop spamming me dude right like where do you see that where do you see that line yeah so um a, a couple of things come to mind for me which is um you know if they if they haven't told you to screw off you know it's fair <laughs> game right um 
they just simply could be ignoring you. Like we, we really don't know. Right. But you, you want to have some sort of an answer, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you never want to be in a position where, you know, person just doesn't give you a response or just says, I don't know. Right. That's probably like the worst response. And, and for salespeople, you know, I, I either want to know, you know, you said no to me. Um, and even if you did tell me to screw off, that's fine. Like, like respectfully, I completely understand. And you just move on. Right. That's, mm -hmm. that's part of, um, you know, when, when people say, you know, it's a, it's a numbers game. Um, but respectfully, you know, you want to get that no, or, or you want to get that yes in understanding how do you move to the next stage? But like a, a non-response to me is just think of it from a perspective of the person's either ignoring me or they're just super busy. So if they haven't said anything yet, it's fair game for you to follow up. Mm -hmm. How many follow-ups would you do? Um, you know, on, on average, um, you know, anywhere between eight to 12 touch points and, and, your, and your touch points are like a combination of being on social, um, sending out emails, phone calls, but, you know, no one's really sold any deals um, in my experience, just like mm -hmm. through email. Like if you're, if you're really talking about selling where you have to demo the product, um, you've, you've got their, you've got to get their credit card information and, and stuff like that. Like it always takes a phone call. Yep. That's fair. Cool. Um, Emotu is asking what's a good approach to steadily increase sales over time for a marketplace or platform company where most of the target audience are considered consumers, not businesses that typically engage you on a transactional basis with no subscriptions models involved. So, so specific for Emotu, their, their product is on Instagram. They have a, I don't know if you can call it an Instagram tool, but they definitely help um, merchants and e-commerce people sell stuff through Instagram. Um, so, so in terms of like when they're looking for touch points, like a lot of times the consumers are just on Instagram, right? So, so how can they kind of, try to increase sales over time when, you know, the platform, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm deciphering the question. So if emotive, I'm deciphering it wrong, you know, just correct me. But, but like a lot of the, the base stats are, are, are noise. So I, I think it, you know, in, to, to that degree, I almost feel like it's, um, you know, you, you probably have to look at, um, you know, ease of use. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you also have to take a look at marketing as well. Like probably not so much sales, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I think, you know, we're the, the one common thing that, that we're talking about is just like revenue, right? Like mm -hmm. how can you increase your, your revenue there? But, you know, if, if you think about your, um, your, your consumers on Instagram, like one, it just has to be like super easy to use, like whatever type of application that, that you are, um, um, that you're trying to monetize out of, like it just it should be like one or two clicks and, and you're done. Right. So like, how easy is it for your, your end user to be able to, to sign up and, and just like do what it is that, that you want to do and to have them pay you. Um, the other, the other end of it too, is like maybe the social proof of it, like who else on Instagram are already kind of part of your core users and how can they also market this, uh, on your behalf, right? Like that, that's basically the power of, uh, of social. 
Awesome. Cool. So we're, we're wrapping up here. So if you have any final questions, pump them in and we'll try and touch them up. We'll do a couple more. Uh, one I have here is, and I think we touched on it a little bit, but what are some ways that you can gain the trust of your customers as a company or individual? Um, I think there's, um, you know, you know, a couple of things is just like getting testimonials. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which I think is key or, um, or even then, if you know that this particular person is fairly happy with your product or service, um, if, if they are happy, why wouldn't they share this with somebody else? Like, um, a, a lot of times, um, a lot of salespeople and, and founders even would forget about this, but you know, if, if you don't have to spend any money on, on marketing and, and advertising, like that's that's probably the best thing. So where else are you going to get you know, word of mouth business? And it's, you know, if, if you've done a deal with, um, with a customer there, like how willingly are they able to refer another business that might need your product or service, right? Like that's, that's basically just like word of mouth advertising and, and getting some social proof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, another question from, from Abel. Um, coming from a culturally different market, how can one best understand the consumer behavior of a new market? I, I think that depends. You know, that that's a really good question. Um, but it, it's so open-ended. There's there's so <laughs> many different directions um, where, you know, I, I probably want to ask like, uh, like some more questions back to, to understand that. But um, you know, ha- happy to connect with you, Abel, um, offline if you if you want to pick my brain more about that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I I think to kind of generally generally poke at this, it's you you got to figure out what the persona of your your demographic is, right? Like if you're going after teenagers, like that that's your target market, that's your customer demographic, or it's or it's stay at home dads or, or whatever, like whatever that, that you can, we talked about earlier with the Google AdWords about narrowing down. Like, I think you have to narrow it a little bit apart from like everybody that lives in Vancouver, or everybody that lives in, in, in Canada. Like, I don't think you can find your research that way. And then it's just, it's, if I'm being blunt, it's, it's grunt work. You got to find those people and you got to start figuring out patterns, right? Like there's, there's, there's no like button we can just push when we come to, to a new market that, that it just functions, right? Like I, I, I think it's smart in, in recognizing that when you go to a new market, when you go to a culturally different market, that you're not just assuming like, oh, it worked in Taiwan, therefore it works here the same way, right? Like, I, I think that's smart to, to recognize that, but, but at the end of the day, like build that persona and, and, and then find, find five people, see if you can find patterns. If there's no patterns, find another five people. I don't know if I'm speaking for you, but, but, but that, that's how I would do it. <laughs> but, but yeah, able, I think take, take Mike's offer up and then maybe just shoot him an email and, and, and connect for, for virtual coffee or something. Um, another question from, from Rajiv, Mike, can you guide us on sales when it comes to B2C for our app? So someone is already in store or restaurant or cinema, and we need to engage them to persuade them to use our app. What is the most effective sales rep talking video, uh, 
or slash video or animation incentive only have a few seconds to get their attention engaged in what will be the most effective. So, so I'll give a little bit of context here. Um, uh, Rajiv uh, and his team at Quip, they, they have a product. I'm not sure if it's, it's iPhone or iPad or, or what the screen is, or actually there's, there's no screen, but, but they, they have like an Amazon go type product where, where, they they sell to to merchants and then once the merchants install their product they can have a a kind of like seamless you know take your stuff and and walk out and it's pre it's paid for and all that kind of stuff but i think they're the what's interesting about this question is is obviously they're direct selling to the the store owners but their users are consumers like you and me walking through and and it's one thing to convince the store owner to to buy their shit but but it's another thing to convince Sam, the guy walking in, to actually use it because it seems like I feel like yeah. a thief. It feels sketchy. There's lots of things here. So, so maybe I'm backing up and being more generalized. Like when there's like kind of two layers, when there's the person that buys the product and then there's the actual user, how, how can you engage the actual user? Because you're kind of like one step away and people might not even know the original company that built that software. I, I don't know if there's, a, if there's a way to offer discounts at all. If, if there is, I mean, that sounds like a pretty huge incentive especially when um you know it comes to uh restaurants or or even retail right like mm-hmm. everybody likes to to have some sort of a discount and a lot of times like when when you're thinking about food like it's impulsive mm-hmm. like i i feel like pizza today but i mean what kind of pizza you know don't know or if you're just like walking down the street it's like this looks pretty good i'm gonna stop by so um if, if there's room to offer discounts, um, that, that could be advantageous. If there's, I mean, a, a lot of people um, also just like rewards, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. And it could be just um, gamifying certain things too, right? Um, so n- not necessarily on like the, um, like a monetary discount on the product or, or, or the service that they're uh, looking at purchasing through your application, but even like rewards could be pretty cool. But I think, you know, we're, we're coming into a world now where, you know, times are pretty tough for, you know, quite a few people. Um, Economy is not looking too hot. So um, I, I think discounts will, will definitely uh, resonate. Mm-hmm. And I think they're, they're on a, on a mobile app. So actually, extra tip for you here, Rajiv. Um, see if you can connect with with somebody from the Push Assist team. So Push Assist is another another um, company in Maple. They deal with notifications. Um, I don't know if it's in app or in web, but but they they have like a, a monitor for for notifications. So so that could help if you're building a mobile app. Um, but but that's that's just an out there tip. So. So final question here, um, I've touched down in Vancouver. What's my first step in building my, my sales process? Start networking. Um, start, start networking, start talking to uh, a number of salespeople, learn a little bit more about um, you know, the, the sales arena first. Um, you know, try to do what you can to learn about even competitors. What are competitors doing? Um, and you know, what, whatever competitive intelligence that, that you can gather on that particular industry, I think going to help you, um, uh, essentially refine, you know, how your pitch is going to, um, to look like towards the end of the day. But, um, 
I mean, if, if you've already got some sort of a process in place, you know, that that's great. Um, I, I don't I don't know, like, you know, what, what other part of the country you might have sold into, but if you already have a, a, a process, think about how you can refine that process, um, you know, in the, your North American market. But I, I can't imagine it being too different, you know, maybe slightly different audience uh, that you might be selling to, but uh, yeah. Awesome. And just to f- follow up that, because like, I want to kind of make this realistic. One, do they do they have to wait until they're physically in Vancouver to start this networking? Would you recommend that? No, because not at all, um, not at all, right? Like, and and that's that's kind of the power of um, LinkedIn. I, I use LinkedIn pretty extensively. Um, there's a there's a lot of um, different associations that you can join as well uh, over LinkedIn. Um, and, and you don't have to wait until you touch down in, in Canada or, or in Vancouver, you can literally be anywhere. Right. Um, but I mean, your, your working hours might be slightly different, but you can always network. Mm-hmm. And the other part of that question is, does it matter where you are in your, your product cycle before you start this, this networking in terms of like some will maybe pre-product, some maybe, you know, trying to do a new release or, or wherever they are at in their, their product cycle. I don't think it really matters because what, what you want to do, you know, you, you always, when you're networking, you always want to have some sort of an intent going in there, right? Like think about, I'm, I'm going to use like, um, I'm going to use like trade shows and conferences as a really good example, right? Like let, let's say you have like no product and you're like pre-revenue. Well, what's the purpose of you going to that conference and trade show, right? It's probably to do a little bit of competitive intelligence, probably for you to meet a couple of um, prospects that you want to start talking to, right? That's, that's part of the purpose of, of going to, um, uh, to these places to, to network is, is just to figure out, you know, where does your product actually sit in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's say you've got some revenue, right. And, and you're going to the same trade show and, and conference, like w- what is the, what is the intent of you a- attending that? Well, maybe now it's to, you know, you know, put a bit of a splash in, in telling all your other competitors, you know, he, um, here we are, like, here's, here's what our product does. And it, it's also um, gather some more intelligence and to also talk to a lot of prospects. You're, you're probably going to get your best um, intelligence off of customers who are already using a competitor's product. And they're going to tell you everything that's wrong with the, the competitor product, right? And that's going to help you gain a, a competitive edge on how can you design or, or build your product so that it, it one, fills those gaps. And two, you have someone who's basically championing for your product and who's potentially got some skin in the game because they, they just hate this product that they've been with for <laughs> ages, right? So, you know, go, go in there with some intent as to what you want to get out of it. But you, you can start anywhere and at any stage. Cool. And, and very last question, just from Mohammed, real quickly. Um, according to your experience, what does better effect on B2B sales in Canada? Is it campaign marketing, online marketing, or face-to-face? I think it depends on the product. Uh, also depends on the industry in itself, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm not getting you a straightforward answer. 
No, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. I, I think it, it, it does vary. Um, there's, there's, there's no, there's no straight path. So I think Mohammed, if, if you want to kind of dive deeper about what you're doing and who you're trying to reach, then, um, I think it's a good time to kind of wrap up and like, how can people connect with you? Um, if they have more questions or they, they are listening to the recording of this and they, they want to, to reach out, um, they want to link cold email you or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, Add, add me as a connection or um, feel free to email me mike.way at pioco.com. Um, I'll, I'll actually spell it out. It's P-I-O-C-O dot C-A. Sorry, not, not dot com dot C-A. I'm sure cool. Sam will, will probably share that with, uh, yeah, with everybody. I'll, I'll share that with find everybody. Me, find me on we LinkedIn. Have your LinkedIn. Yeah. And I'd, I'd suggest just giving him some context. You, you listen to this AMA here with launch and, and uh, here's where you wanted to follow up. So, so Mike, thanks you so much for, for coming in here and dropping some, some knowledge bombs with us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. 